From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the LPL Market Signals podcast. Jeff Bookbinder here with my friend and colleague, Quincy Crosby. How are you today, Quincy? How was your holiday weekend? It was lovely. Thank, thank you. It was a, it was a good weekend and an important weekend, isn't it? Oh, it was a, an important weekend. Certainly, you, uh, you had to follow your news alerts uh, to see what was going on in Washington, uh, yeah. no doubt. So, um, mm-hmm. we'll talk about that. It is Tuesday morning, May thirtieth, twenty twenty three, as we're recording this. Uh, the, um, you know, the debt limit deal is certainly the biggest headline today. It's driving futures higher, at least before the open. Uh, but uh, there was you know, certainly a few other things to note from last week uh, that we'll talk about. So um, let's get right to it. Uh, here's the agenda. You know, Last week, the earnings blowout from NVIDIA was certainly a big story. And so that report, as well as uh, its big move in the market, certainly showed up. More on that in a bit. Um, of course, we got a deal on the debt limit. It has to pass Congress and be signed by the president, but it looks really likely that that'll happen. Uh, so we'll share some some of the details, at least the details that we have. Uh, the the main um, topic, though, I'd say for today is this concept of narrow market leadership, right? The generals need more soldiers, the generals being the mega cap tech names that continue to lead this market higher. Uh, and the question being, is is that unhealthy? Is this uh, is it just a matter of time before um, you know this broad market rolls over as uh, a small number of stocks shoulder that burden? Uh, and then we'll uh, we'll preview the week, of course, the ISM and the uh, jobs report, the big data points for the week. So um, let's start with a market recap. So Quincy was a I mean, it was kind of a ho-hum week if, if you just look at, or at least this is a five-day uh, look back, right? The S&P only up 0.3%. But we had a furious comeback at the end of last week to get to that you know, green number uh, with, with a big rally on, on Friday. You know, I would say that the certainly the strong numbers from NVIDIA and earnings optimism was a piece of that. Also optimism that we would get a debt limit deal. Uh, yeah. Another piece. Do you think there was something else going on here uh, other than just, um, you know, tech and debt, debt limit? Well, it was nice to see that Best Buy, Best Buy got a uh, a bid, uh, you know, a Main Street icon uh, juxtaposed to the the new NVIDIA artificial intelligence uh, theme that is underpinning much of this rally. So that that was nice because what it indicated is that um, while consumers are being more deliberate, they they mentioned that uh, that they were able that they were able to you know offer uh, a surprise a positive surprise for the market, and I I think that's important because you mentioned it. Can we have anything else helping the generals? And this is what we need to see more of that, and perhaps the debt ceiling uh, uh, deal. Will will help you know underpin a rally of the, sort of the rest of the market. Yeah, certainly the strength in mega caps and the artificial yeah. intelligence enthusiasm is showing up in the Nasdaq. You know, up yeah, yeah. you know, up last week, but up uh, you know fourteen percent plus in the last yeah. three months. Yeah. Uh, this is um, this is an N led global market, right? Because it's Nasdaq and Nikkei, right? Yes. You look down, the bottom here, you see the uh, Nikkei up uh, almost 15% last three months. 
uh, up a little bit last week. So those, yeah. those are two of the best charts uh, that uh, you can find uh, right now. Uh, I know uh, you also want to make some comments on, on Germany that made some headlines last week, right on a technical recession, two straight quarters of negative GDP. Uh, yet, you know, that market's doing okay. It's kind of hanging in. Um, Europe in general is is certainly hanging in there. Uh, do you think there's more weakness to come in, in Europe as a result of this, Quincy, or was, was that kind of already priced in and maybe uh, anticipated? Well, you know, once we saw the trade numbers, and, you know, we've been following that, right? You talk about South Korea, for example. Uh, the trade numbers out of Germany were not good at all. You juxtapose that with China, and Germany has a very strong trade relationship with China. And once we started to have the weaker numbers coming out of China, one of the things we saw was not just, you know, Germany, but we also saw those luxury good names coming down. They were their own cohort. They were kind of uh, Europe's version of our big tech, right? Uh, they were all going up, up, up as, as the U, uh, Chinese consumer was buying luxury goods. And suddenly, as that data began to filter out of China, indicating weakness, uh, that, that pulled back and pulled back and pulled back. And then Germany, again, the trade data, much of it also had to do with uh, exports of their vehicles, you know, their big export market. So I think it is probably just, quote unquote, just a technical recession. And you remember, we went into a technical recession and there was that debate uh, regarding what is a technical recession. Is it not a real recession? So again, if we see global growth holding up overall, if we see China beginning to turn the corner and perhaps with more fiscal stimulus complementing the monetary stimulus that they have been uh, enjoying uh, as the People's Bank of China has lowered a number of the rates, maybe we'll start to see a pickup in Germany. And remember, they're a big exporter within the Europe, uh, uh, Eurozone. Italy has done well. I, I looked at those numbers. So in any event, uh, maybe it is just that, a technical recession. And I often wonder, uh, Jeff, whether they're having their own debate within um, Germany. Well, a technical recession is a recession, just as we did here in the U.S. But there, too, you need to see consumer spending down. You need to see it for a, a good portion of, uh, of months, right? You need to see the labor market hurting. Uh, we haven't seen that in, in Germany. And, and the hope is we don't see that and that this is just that, a technical recession, but that the growth leads them out of it. Yeah, maybe we'll get uh, you know a playbook for the U.S. where a mild recession you know doesn't necessarily uh, cause mm -hmm. meaningful declines in equities. You know, you, you could get a this mild recession that everybody expects later this mm -hmm. year. You know, perhaps uh, markets hold up. Uh, in Certainly. So um, you know, let's move on really quickly to fixed income and commodities here. So I think this is interesting. Markets have been pricing in a, a much higher probability of a June rate hike, right? I think it's 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 now something like 60%. Yes. Likely, and you've seen some close Fed watchers move over to that camp. Um, the two-year yield's up 11 days in a row. Yeah, who mm -hmm. knows if it'll make it 12, but uh, that has yeah. been a big run, yeah. uh, certainly. I think yields are actually down a smidge today. 
you know, digesting the debt limit deal and the treasury issuance that's mm -hmm. going to come from that. It's a it's a liquidity drain yes. as market moves into those short-term treasuries to effectively fund the increase in spending. Maybe a little bit too in the weeds there, but this is something a lot of strategists are, are paying attention to right now. So we've had a little bit of fixed income weakness uh, recently. You see that in the left-hand side of this table, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, down across the board last week. It's still not, you know, a credit downdraft necessarily, but it's, uh, you know, we've had a little bit of a rate move. And then on the commodity side, um, uh, I mean, grains made a big move. We don't talk a lot about about grains, um, mm -hmm. but within the energy, actually, oil up, nat gas down. So that, you know, down 1.1% in the energy mm -hmm. column yeah. last week is a little misleading because oil did make a move um, higher mm -hmm. uh, while natural gas was was falling. We're still in a pretty good seasonal period for, for crude oil, Quincy, as you know. So, you know, maybe, um, you know, prices at the pump inch higher here in the near term as we, uh, you know, well, we already hit the roads this past weekend, uh, certainly. And, and and thanks again to all of our uh, veterans out there listening uh, for um, all you've done for our country and for those who made the ultimate sacrifice as well. Um, the, um, you know, I think that, I think oil could make a little bit of a, a move higher here in the near term. What do you think, Quincy? Well, yeah, I mean, a couple of things, some stockpiles down, uh, it looks as if the replenishment program of the U.S. to replenish the stockpiles in the Strategic Petroleum Reserve finally are getting back on schedule, a new schedule. So three million uh, barrels of oil hoping to go back into the uh, Strategic Petroleum Reserve. That takes oil out of the market. Uh, it's not a done deal. They, they go through uh, uh, kind of a bidding where the uh, oil companies come in and give a, give a price. But that also helps. There's another element here, which is um, OPEC plus is meeting. Uh, you know that the oil uh, minister out of Saudi Arabia, the de facto head of OPEC, coming out with the ouch comment, like, okay, you short sellers, beware. We, we could come in and do what we did to you last April, which is when they announced the uh, quote unquote surprise cut in production. Now, the point is also that Russia's exports are still out there, uh, even the ones that are not allowed. And uh, granted, it's a spot market. It's a, it, it's difficult to um, to police, but the Saudis now are getting concerned about that because they obviously want to push up the price of oil. They want to put a floor under the price of oil, and that is probably you know ninety bucks a barrel, ninety five bucks a barrel. So they're a long way from that. So the question is, what do they do, and how do they? How do they give an ouch to the short sellers who've probably covered their shorts already? It's going to be an interesting meeting uh, for OPEC Plus, certainly. Yeah, I mean, recession timetables are being pushed mm -hmm. out a bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Would be exactly. supportive of crude oil. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the supply, uh, tightening supply picture. Obviously, mm -hmm. we have the China reopening. So, that, you know, we'll see where it goes. But um, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not it's not too hard to uh, make a case for oil to go a little bit higher. Um, a couple quick charts, kind of to set the stage for yeah. um, you know where we are in the markets today. Um, this is, I mean, this picture hasn't really changed, right? We've been talking about higher highs and higher lows yeah. since October, 
right? Mm -hmm. And we've been above these moving averages, 50 day and the 200 day here for a while. So that yeah. that's constant. But yeah. what's changed here now is, you know, over 4,200, we actually broke through to new 2023 highs. And we're now making a run at August 2022, right? Um, yeah. Our, yeah. Our technical strategist, Adam Turnquist, made the point that you might see a short covering move from that, that pushes us to 4,300 pretty quickly. Now, getting much higher than that is probably going to be tough. But uh, certainly we could see now that we're over 4,200, we could see a move to 4,300 yeah. uh, uh, pretty pretty quickly. Um this, this study we did last week in a blog on lparesearch.com kind of mm -hmm. plays into that. We're actually going to also have this study in the weekly market commentary for today on lpl.com where we talk about breadth, bad breadth, <laughs> uh, and, and the fact that these mega cap techs are leading. More on that in just a moment. But th this is a really simple study, but it's a powerful message. Yeah. Uh, and it says that if you're up through 100 trading days, more than 7% year to date, then the rest of the year has historically been really strong. You've had gains of an average of over 9% yeah. Yeah. rest of year, right? So that means you're talking about, you know, near 20% gains for the full year. Mm -hmm. Now, history doesn't always repeat. We know that, but this this sure sets us up for um, uh, for some potential gains here rest of the year. I also want to point out, you know, two of these losses, you know, you're up 88% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Two of them are marginal. So really, you've yeah. only been down meaningfully one time, and that was, you know, the 1987 crash. Yeah. So, you know, this tells us, um, you know, don't don't be too bearish, right? Don't don't get too offsides in your positioning here. Uh, we still think a small overweight equities makes sense, but certainly, um, you know, with this move we've seen, we're up 10% year to date. It's it's starting to get a little less comfortable. I'll I'll say it that way. Uh, but we still think the um, you know the odds are pretty good that we we ended the year higher uh, than we we are now. We also are pretty much done with earnings season, Quincy, and estimates are moving higher. I don't think anybody saw this coming. Um, we came in earnings season looking for 220 in S&P 500 earnings yeah. for the year, and now consensus is is uh, 222, up a couple right. of bucks. That doesn't sound like much, but the number usually goes goes down. Yeah. Right. So that's actually better than it sounds. So really, um, really strong earnings season that I wanted to highlight really quickly before we get to the next section. So um, Quincy, let's talk debt, debt limit deal. Um, I'll let you um, walk through this one. It wasn't unexpected, right? And, and we generally got what we thought we would get. Um, but do you see any surprises uh, in, um, the, in the framework of a deal that we, you know, that we got information on over the weekend? Well, you know, it's what's interesting about it. I, I became hopeful. I actually sent out a note, note on this. I was hopeful when McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy, Speaker of the House, came out and said, they're going to be unhappy. There are going to be a lot of unhappy people with this. That's good. That was good news for me because it meant that the horse trading had begun. And that's how you get a deal. So I, I look at it and, you know, how do I say this? The, the Democrats, uh, 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 the ultra left wing of the Democratic Party is very unhappy with it. And the ultra right wing of the Republican Party is very unhappy with it. That's but what it we have. <laughs> yeah, it's the way it should be. But here's the thing for McCarthy. Remember, he came in on the 15th ballot. And in order to get that vote, to get 
into the speakership role. He had to promise this and he had to promise that. And right now that cohort is saying, you double crossed us. And they're very unhappy with this. Now, the question is, can they get the overall vote? It looks like they can, it looks like they have the votes and I think it's going to vote, I think tomorrow. But the point I wanna make is, it's amazing how they were able to come together on some of the uh, stickiest issues, which is the, the work uh, um, aspect underpinning uh, benefits. That surprised me that they were able to get through that. That really surprised me because that one is held dear, dear to not just the ultra left wing of the Democratic Party, but I would have to say the left wing of the Democratic Party. And on the other side, most uh, middle, even middle of the road Republicans are against benefits without you know, having a, a work stipulation. That surprised me. Also uh, what surprised me, one that I follow very closely is the president's uh, budget for defense spending. That stayed intact. larger defense uh, budget, but nonetheless, it came in and the president's defense budget is still higher than it was last year. So it's uh, 3%, 3% higher, and that remained intact. I thought that was going to be a battleground. And then one other that really surprised me, speaking of energy, Jeff, we were just talking about it, was the agreement on uh, 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 energy, uh, uh, the energy complex and pipelines. Uh, a positive on that. And, and that's something which is fascinating because the re administration has actually gone out with, you know, auctions, come on, please uh, come in and, and join the auction. And, you know, uh, you know the, uh, the oil community, the crude energy oil community has been skeptical. Like, well, we're, we're not going to go in and do anything. It's not exactly hospitable for us. But nonetheless, that got through. And that one is also one where the um, left wing of the Democratic Party was fighting tooth and nail for the president to, um, to, to just back down and say, no, what, this is not going to happen. And yet they weren't paying attention to what was going on in the White House for months now, trying to get more energy production. Uh, just being easier with, with with the companies and the bids. So that surprised me that 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 got through. And you saw Senator Manchin coming in with his with his pipeline. So that that was also part of this um, this uh, give and take. And I call it horse trading. Old fashioned horse trading got this got this done. And I hope they get the vote on Wednesday. Yeah, don't we all? We all want to put this in the rearview mirror. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. This, the mansion yeah. horse trading has been going on for over a year. <laughs> so, you know, it looks yeah. like he finally yeah. got uh, what he wanted, or at least most of what he wanted. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the, the main headline is we just don't have to pay attention to this anymore, which is great, <clears throat> assuming we get the vote tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, I mean, just add a little color, the the uh, food aid programs, the work requirement, I think, was raised four years from 50 to 54. Um, so, um, <clears throat> you know, you have to meet that rate that um, work requirement longer, right? Until you are uh, a few yeah. years older. So, you know, yeah. it, it sounds very reasonable. I mean, certainly we're all living and working longer uh, these days than, than we used to. So that, that, yeah. that seems like something that, you know, both sides can um, can live with. So I, I really don't see where this falls apart. I, I think I think we can 
we, we can uh, we, we can move on, which is great and talk about other things. We can't quite move on in, from the topic of narrow leadership. Um, can't move on and talk. Stop talking about the Fed either. <laughs> but let's talk about narrow leadership, Quincy. Again, this is in our uh, weekly market commentary for today. We actually wrote two weekly market commentaries for today. <laughs> we had a debt ceiling goes bad commentary that we thankfully were able to scrap. Uh, and yeah. a, and then another weekly commentary on breadth. Um, you have to write these things a little bit in advance. Uh, so you can't just throw something together uh, last minute. Um, <laughs> so thankfully we had this backup plan because the uh, the other piece we wrote is, is certainly outdated. So here's... Um, Here's a picture of just how narrow the leadership has been. Um, the, just these six names, right? Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, Alphabet, mm -hmm. Amazon, Meta. Yeah, yeah. Are all of the year-to-date gain. Okay, now I ran this, uh, you know, middle of last week. We we produced this chart on Thursday. So mm -hmm. we, stocks have gone a little higher since then. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, the point still holds, uh, certainly. If you yeah. add up the contribution of those six names, you get the entire gain, right? Actually, you get more than the entire gain, right? Uh, because the rest of the S and P five hundred, the other four hundred ninety four names, uh, give or take, uh, in aggregate are down 0.3% percent uh, year to date. So I, I actually um, um, saw an analysis this morning from our friends at Strategus uh, that look at this kind of narrow leadership, and um, they use the top ten. So the top 10 names and what percent of gains have those top 10 names driven in positive market years? And um, they went back to 1993, and this is by far uh, the biggest concentration from top 10 names for overall market gains. Um, I mean, it's frankly, it's double the contribution of a lot of these other years that we've seen or more. Yeah, uh, that, that was a really interesting... Um, study. So, you know, what does that mean, right? Well, it means that the foundation for the markets maybe isn't as strong as we would like it to be. But if you break this out into sectors, uh, you do see some areas that have pretty healthy breadth. One of them is technology. We warmed up to the tech sector here recently. 62% uh, of the tech sector is trading above its 200-day moving average. So some people think, oh, it's just, you know, Apple, Microsoft, and NVIDIA. No. It's actually pretty broad within tech. And then you can see the same thing over to the left, comm services, where you have um, Meta and uh, Google, you have 54% of the stocks in that sector outperforming. So it's not just a couple of names. Um, consumer discretionary, same thing. It's not just Amazon uh, mm -hmm. trading above its 200-day. It's you know more than half. That's the dark blue uh, line here. That's where the good breadth is from that measure. The challenge though, um, well, there's two challenges. One is for the broad market, only 43% of the S&P 500 stocks are above their 200 day moving average. So momentum is kind of you know, mediocre um, yeah. or breadth and momentum. Um, the, the other piece of this is, you know, we show how, what percentage of stocks are underperform or outperforming the S&P 500, and it's only 25%. So three out of four stocks this year are underperforming, and that's a tough environment for uh, active managers and just another way uh, to highlight the narrow leadership um, that we, we've had. 
So we have one more slide on this and then I'll let you weigh in, Quincy. So this, this is a study uh, that shows how stocks have done after these narrow breadth readings, okay, narrow leadership. Uh, we break the S&P 500 into breadth quintiles. So the strongest breadth on the left, the weakest breadth on the right. If you have really strong breadth, you see on the left, this is top quintile. Uh, you see on average, you're up 21% 12 months later. You know, solid gains three, six uh, months later as well. If you go all the way to the, to the right here, uh, not all the way to the right, second to the right, uh, and see the, um, the lowest quintile, on average, you see losses, right? This is the only quintile where the market tends to go down after these breadth uh, readings. Now we could show you studies that show that the market's likely to go up in 12 months. There are a lot of them, right? But this is one, probably one of the most bearish um, studies that I've seen, frankly. On average, over the next 12 months, stocks have fallen 7%, 6.8% after these bad breadth quintile readings. So, um, what do you think, Quincy? Is this something to be worried about, or would you provide a counter argument to this? Well, the, you, you could provide a counter argument to this is that these companies make money, they have rock solid balance sheets. And so, when you're worried about the future, because it was the debt ceiling true, but you also had concerns over the Fed, you had concerns over the bank crisis. Uh, stress in the credit markets, the lending, uh, impending recession. You could go on and on with that wall of worry. This is that tug of war between price action and the wall of worry. But it isn't, I, I've seen comments that, oh, this is exactly like 1999, 2000. No, it isn't. I mean, then the companies didn't make any money. And yet if it had dot-com, you know, and we all remember that, it took two years to unwind that. These companies make money. Now, there's the other argument that they are what we call long duration names. So why are they leading us higher, given that interest rates are climbing higher? We have to go back and look at whether or not that holds for these mature companies, because most of them are quite mature companies. They're not the new entrepreneurial companies of, of 10 years ago. So that, that, I think, may explain it, but they are seen as defensive. And by the way, we saw this during COVID, did we not? They marched higher and higher and higher. And we talked about breath not being uh, strong enough, that, that not, not being wide enough. And the answer was, well, rates are so low, uh, they, they are seen as defensive names. Now, that said, what is, would be helpful is to see the small cap come back to life, because we know that that would be a reflection of lack, or, or, or how should I say, the diminished concern over the bank scenario. That would help dramatically in terms of this argument that it is only a, the mega caps leading the market higher. And we've seen some movement in the uh, small cap space. The Russell 2000 has actually showed signs of life again. We need to see continuation there because I think that would help assuage fears that this, the generals are the only ones leading the market higher. Certainly if the Russell 2000 were to gain momentum, it would suggest a healthier 
economy, by the way, economic backdrop, given that there would be uh, more interest coming in from buyers in, in the banks, which, of course, are reflective of credit stress and so on. So I think that's what we need. But you can't deny uh, price action. There's this argument. You hear it over and over again. Well, it doesn't count. Well, of course it counts. Uh, and, and there's another aspect too, Jeff. That is to say the market does its own due diligence, right? The market in and of itself takes in the headwinds and also the um, tailwinds and comes up with a valuation. Now, you could argue, and you have made this comment before, the market is trading at what almost 19 times forward earnings. Without those names, the S&P 500 would be trading at 14 times forward earnings. That's quite a difference. So again, it would be much better to have a broader representation. And the hope is, by the way, that as we now check off, we hope Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday night, we check off the debt ceiling concern. And then we move ahead uh, that we will have a broader uh, uh, representation in the market. But it's not unusual to see these names more and more as a defense mechanism for uh, providers. Now, granted, fear of missing out is now coming into the play. Uh, short covering is coming into play. But we have to go back and remember the initial re reasons we saw money going into those names. The AI hype machine is certainly going strong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. But, one of the best, but, yeah. One of the best starts to the NASDAQ ever. Um, Yes, big dis divergence between large caps and small caps. We still like large caps better, but I agree 100%. If we can see small caps mm -hmm. stay in better performance, that'll be that'll be helpful. Uh, and if we just see breadth uh, broaden out, which you know we may see. Uh, certainly, earnings did their part. Mm -hmm. uh, and, yeah. uh, you know, maybe we can get past the Fed rate hike cycle, and uh, you know markets can take some comfort uh, in that. And um, you know, certainly. We'll get to the week ahead here now. Uh, we've got some key data here that could, you know, help maybe give us a little bit more uh, market breadth in the ISM and the jobs report. And I actually, I mean, I've said this before. I, I like the ISM uh, quite a bit because it it does oh. provide a, a signal for earnings. Yes. Right. And you also have a playbook. You kind of know where recession starts. Um, based on the ISM, right? I mean, typically, if you're going to get a recession, you're going to have an ISM below 45, right? Yep. Usually sort of in the 42, 43 range mm -hmm. or lower. Uh, the ISM manufacturing index ticked up last month. So if we get another uptick or maybe even stability, right, in that 47 range, uh, that could set up a muddle through. I mean, if you if you made a you know scenario for a muddle through you you would probably say yeah we'll probably you know go to forty seven and then you know start to um, uh, to rebound you know what what we sometimes call a mid cycle pause this could be a mid cycle pause uh, rather than a um, you know an outright recession so I'll be watching the ISM closely also the prices paid come down yeah exactly um, the the PCE Data last week was a touch hot, uh, which certainly caused some folks again to move over to the rate hike uh, camp for um, for June. I think June 14th is decision day. Um, so that'll get some attention too. But, um, you know, it's 
right now the uh, the ISM saying muddle through, and then payrolls. I mean, we we softened a bit, you know, in recent months, but not much. So, um, you know, Quincy, is there something to worry about here with with payrolls? Could that number or those numbers uh, push us over and 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 maybe make a, a rate hike uh, in, in a couple of weeks a, a foregone conclusion? If wages climb higher, that you know, because wage wages climbing higher typically translates into higher prices as companies try to pass along the higher wages. So, and they've been successful because consumers have just basically said, "Well, well we live in a world that's uh, you know higher prices." This and, and that, by the way, uh, looks as if we are becoming entrenched into a higher price psychology, which is something the Fed does not want to see. So that said, there's also a, a not a theory, but a, an acceptance that the Fed, if they want to raise rates, would like to do it during a period where they have the luxury, quote unquote, of a strong labor market, because it is the labor market that typically leads us into a recession. And that typically actually comes from uh, margin compression, right? Where, where companies say we've got we've got to make our bottom line, we've got to you know shareholder value, we've got to cut costs. We haven't heard that much during this past earnings season. So the know. Fed, right? Yeah. So the Fed may uh, you know see it, but again, the prices paid is crucial. We get the consumer re- ISM report next week, and there it's been above fifty barely above 50, but in expansion territory nonetheless. And we'll see whether the prices paid there uh, has has um, inched higher or, or lower. And I think on, on Friday, it will be about wages. Uh, they, wa- they want to see wages come down. And this is a, a very difficult discussion because it has political ramifications because there's a camp that says, wait a minute, these are lower wage earners. Many of them are working in the service sector. They're earning more than they ever had. Why would you want to see their wages come down? And you could hear the, the, the give and take on this uh, from the uh, um, Federal Reserve that, uh, look, we understand that, but you still need price stability. And they're paying higher uh, interest rates on their credit cards. Uh, they yes, they're getting higher wages, but at the end of the day, they're losing money as long as inflation keeps crawling higher. So it's an interesting debate. But I think if wages are higher materially, which I don't think it's going to be the case, but if it is, uh, I think you're going to see that 60 percent probability climb higher right after the release of the uh, of the um, report. Yeah, absolutely. Um I mean, it, it's all you. You highlighted it's all about uh, wages. Well, if if we're somewhere around two hundred thousand jobs, you know, that's that's fine. Even one fifty, mm-hmm. yeah. That that's that's probably not um, you know the key here. It's it's probably the uh, the wage numbers. And then you've got you know the Jolts report, right? Job openings. You got uh, ADP yeah. claims. Claims is more timely. It's yeah. a big labor market week, right? And a shortened week. So we're going to cram a lot of data into into mm-hmm. four days. Uh, so uh, anything else you're watching, Quincy, for the for the week? I mean, we'll obviously be watching the debt limit vote. Uh, anything else to highlight before we wrap? No, just something you mentioned before, which I think m- comes into play for the Fed, is the liquidity drain that we're going to see uh, in, in the economy. 
And that's something that the Fed is going to watch. And that may be the reason that they skip. You notice they're now talking about skipping a meeting in terms of a rate decision, not not having a rate decision, just skipping it until July. So that's an interesting move. We're going to have more Fed speak this week before they go into the blackout period. But it's I think it's going to be very interesting to see what what they ultimately decide. One thing that the Fed wants to do is not surprise the market. Uh, they have, uh, uh, what shall I say, highlighted this, underscored this, that we don't want to surprise the market in terms of rate hikes because companies, it matters for companies, it matters for individuals. They don't mind surprising when they cut because they get more bang for their buck, by the way, when they surprise the market with a rate cut. But with a rate hike, this administration with Powell uh, has been very clear. We want to, to guide the market as much as we can. So they only have a few more meetings for that because they go into the blackout period. Fed watchers, don't worry. You've still got plenty to watch. <laughs> <laughs> always, always. Twenty-four. <laughs> yes. Can't quite put the Fed watching to bed. Uh, so fed up. Fed up. We're all fed up. Well said. So thank, thanks, Quincy, for that. Um, we um, we will go ahead and wrap there. Uh, thanks, everybody, as always, for uh, for joining us yes. on the Market Signals podcast. We really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Quincy, for joining this week. Uh, we will be back with you next week for another edition of LPL Market Signals. Take care, everybody. Thank thanks thank so you. much. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposit or obligations, and may lose value.